Brent Gunning, and oh, what? Oh, I'm talking. So you know what that means? That means Ben's not here. It's a Friday, of course not. You know we love you, Benny. Turning a, a large numeral tomorrow. So uh, happy early birthday really? to, uh, to our bud. Yeah, the uh, the age will be as big as the head is now. Uh, that's what they'll be saying in the Ennis household. So uh, hey, enjoy your Friday off. Everyone else, enjoy your Friday working. And uh, Jesse. Enjoy your early wake up after, uh, you know, I'm not going to cry the blues for you because I've done like, uh, you know, like Leafs post game and then done morning shows and stuff. So oh, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. cry too much for you, but you, you had a little bit of a different shift yesterday and you're here today. We're, what are we, 12 or 11 hours removed from you uh, being good. off the air? Yeah. Shepherding no. us through a, a wonderful <laughs> post trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, the trade deadline wasn't the most eventful thing in the entire world, but it's this is not the craziest turnaround I've had by, no. by any stretch, and this business is something that you get used to mm-hmm. rather quickly, so it's all good, man. I'm just I'm just happy to be along for the ride, and uh, I guess happy birthday to Annis yeah. coming yeah. up, man. Yeah. Ooh, Tomorrow. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he's talked about it a lot, so not telling any secrets. This isn't like a, I don't know if you know this, uh, this isn't like a JD birthday thing where it's like a state secret that like <laughs> I actually think he's gone into like the Rogers files and it just says redacted. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, we can, we can wish Ben a happy 40th tomorrow yeah big big wow so uh hey enjoy your friday off and uh maybe one's great for 40 yeah well let's not let's not too much while he's not working here Uh, maybe one day he will make it through a full full work week uh (laughs) you and i uh happy to do yeoman's work so like i said you were you were on the desk or not on the desk you were working uh working uh fan pregame yesterday like you said, not a overly eventful day, but a busy one. Like yeah. it was a classic whiplash. And we see this all the time at the NHL trade deadline where eh, seventh defenseman and this guy. Have go- there were a lot of moves made. I don't know that there were a ton of overtly impactful ones. Obviously, like from the Raptors perspective, they did all their heavy lifting ahead of time. Thank God they did because I couldn't have another deadline where uh, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam were still staring at each other, uh, wondering, unlike the Fresh Prince house, wondering where everyone was gone, wondering why they were still here. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, it was a quietish deadline. Your your perspective from it, having uh, having reacted live. Yeah, I feel like it's the best that they could have done. The Raptors specifically uh, at this current point, I think they clearly waited too long to start the rebuild. That is something that we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, you know, for, for years, really, at this point. And mm-hmm. it, it just took too long. And now you look at what they've gotten back, and it's finally time to move on now. Like, we clamored for the longest time for them to have a path to at least start the retooling or rebuilding process. And that has now begun in earnest. You look at the guys that have left, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, obviously, prior to the trade deadline. But now even Adena Schroeder, who I think was brought mm-hmm. in here uh, with higher hopes coming off the FIBA tournament, where he looked... A, standing and winning gold for Germany. But now you have Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett, and they're going to be big focal points moving forward in this core. You have to figure out what you have and the best way to do that. Unfortunately for the competitive juices that you might have as an athlete is to strip down everything else around them and see what you in fact have. And that's where the Raptors are right now. They still have some first round picks. So technically I think from a rebuilding standpoint, they are in a better place than they were previously but it does feel a little bit like it it took too long and they didn't quite do as well as they could have 
had they started this process a little bit earlier. Yeah, so before before we talk about what didn't happen, let's talk about what did. So as you, as you mentioned, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Thad Young on on their way out, uh, the ghost of Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, because he's been bought out so the Raptors don't have to pay yeah. him a million and a half. Raptors bucks. legend. Mm, cruel world. Uh, and Dennis <laughs> Smith Jr., uh, that was the the uh, trade you saw yesterday, but the bigger one that had a lot of people kind of squinting their eyes a little bit and trying to, I mean, quite honestly, for lack of a better term, I think for a lot of people understand it, is the uh, Kelly Olynyk and Oche Abaji trade. Uh, you give up Kirillos Jr., was a guy you just picked up, Otto Porter Jr., and the worst of all of the first-round picks that you have in, in this year's coming draft. Now, this has been explained, uh, you know, even even Bobby Webster uh, went on to, to explain it. Actually, you know what? Uh, before we dive into much to it, just looking for the guys behind the glass here. Do we have the Bobby Webster clips available? Do we have them? The first one on uh, making on the two moves he made yesterday. If we could have that, please. Okay. All right, we'll get to it in a second. That's fine. Uh, the the thing with the thing with Webster's thinking on that that he did go on to explain was basically this is a young player they like in Ojibaji, and you we've heard this ad nauseum of well nobody likes this draft nobody mm-hmm. likes this draft now mm-hmm. just prepare yourself for somebody to go between twenty seven and thirty three in this draft that you will kick yourself about every day for yes. the next decade so just prepare yourself for that but uh, all right we do have the clip now so uh, before uh, before I uh, rehash things let's hear from Bobby. You know, we did our heavy lifting about a month ago, and so I, I feel like this trade deadline, we cleaned up a lot of things, and we, you know, addressed some of the things we talked about after the OG and Pascal trades. Um, you know, we were able to turn one of the picks into a good young player in Ochai, you know, and it's kind of a steady in presence in Kelly. Uh, financially, we were able to, you know, gain some more flexibility this summer with the Dennis trade. Um, but, yeah, I think the heavy lifting was done this, you know, December, January, and this kind of, like, deadline continued on kind of that path. So I think a lot of people hear a team in the position the Raptors are giving up a mm-hmm. first-round pick and saying, oh, for Kelly Olenek. And if you listen to the answer from Bobby Webster there, it's not really for Kelly Olenek. Like, Kelly Olenek comes in the trade. He's an important piece to have, but he almost, uh, and, you know, I think he'll play more than this player I'm about to mention, but he's coming in to fill the Otto Porter Jr. kind of dad-young role of, Vet has been in the league, an adult, a grown-up. And I'm not saying that to disparage Scotty Barnes or Quickly or Barrett, but these guys are all still young. Like, totally. yes, growing into their own, and I, you know, this isn't a maturity thing or anything along those lines, but this was part of the worry I had about the team completely stripping it down is that, you know, Darko, I, you know, I know we're all kind of down on him to various degrees, but first-year head coach, okay, the young guys on this team, yeah, they've been leaders on their teams when they were 17 years old, but they've never done this as men. In an, in an NBA or professional league. So I think getting a guy like Olenek, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I love the idea, the optics of giving up a first-round pick and Olenek's a part of it. But I do, this was part of what I talked about heading into the deadline yesterday, was that you cannot just have a bunch of kids in Darko running around if you do want to build a culture. And, you know, I don't say that as to say Darko can't build a culture, but you need help in, in doing that. And it can't just come from the front office. It can't just come from the coaching staff. Of course it has to come from Scotty Barnes or Quickly or Barrett, but it also has to come from guys who have been in the league and can kind of subtly give those messages. And that's mm-hmm. what Porter Jr. was trying to do, and that's what Thad Young was trying to do. So I think that by getting another body like that, and then, you know, you throw in the passport angle of it all, it, it certainly helps. Yeah, I, I do think Rome wasn't built in a day in this case. And the fact that they have seven players under contract heading into next season 
does afford them a lot of flexibility in the sense that Kelly Olenek is likely not going to be the only veteran that starts the season in training camp for the Toronto Raptors. The point is very well taken because you need to, we saw how important culture was for the Raptors during their entire run. They were a scrappy bunch for the longest time until Kawhi Leonard came in and they had all the right pieces. You don't win a championship without the veterans, the Marcus Souls, the Serge Ibaka, great players in their own right, but also really good guys in the locker room as well, veterans. And you do need that, but they have the spots available now especially considering what they did yesterday there's seven guys on the team and you still have bruce brown it remains to be seen what i mean everyone's anticipating that he's going to be traded at some point mm-hmm. in the draft or the offseason but yeah that's why you bring in a guy like kelly Olynyk, and i don't think that kelly Olynyk is going to be the only guy that's a quote-unquote veteran moving forward with this team they're going to be bad for a considerable amount of time here so it's going to be a bit of a wake-up call for raptors fans we're going to harken back to the days of the Tampa tank a little bit, but they are in a better spot than they were even a couple months ago because the worst place to be in the National Basketball Association or any league for that matter is in the middle when you know that your ceiling is capped. And with OG and with Pascal, their ceiling, unfortunately, because uh-huh. you're seeing how good those guys actually are, yeah. the ceiling was still capped with the mix of the players that they had. So moving forward here, uh, there's going to remain a lot of changes, but you're right. You still need veterans to be able to get over the hump. Man, the the thing about this Raptors team going forward, and you know, we we heard from Webster yesterday. Talk, you know, he was asked specifically about the idea of the top six protected pick that they have this year. How important is it for them to convey that? To not convey it? Do they have a preference? And he just said, "No, we're just going to let the season play out. These guys are going to play and let the chips fall where they may." That that to me was pretty clear as day that you won't be seeing anybody getting load managed down the down the stretch there. Not that the Raptors have any of these like you know postseason awards that they need to hit the sixty five yeah. game threshold for there. But you know I'm I worry about the idea of their you know and I I don't know that they will kind of have a true bottoming out here. But the problem is is that. You know, you want to bottom out when you're the Pistons and you have one guy you like. Yeah. You know, I know they have some others in Jaden Ivey, but it's all about Cade Cunningham there. But you can do that when it's one guy and he's special. But if Scotty Barnes is who we think he is and Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett to lesser degrees are who we think they are, then this team shouldn't be bottoming out and floundering. You know, this year, young team, you know, completely thrown together on the fly. And I don't say that as a shot. I'm happy the trades were finally made. But you can talk yourself into, okay, this isn't the year. But if those three guys are who we think they are to varying degrees, then I'm not saying that this is a, you know, a lock to be a a guaranteed playoff team or anything along those lines, but you're going to be in the play-in territory. And that's why I look at that Bruce Brown trade that wasn't made yesterday as quite honestly, an important one for for the Raptors. You know, I wouldn't have begrudged them if they got their price, a first round pick and not this draft for him. And clearly they didn't. And now you, you know, it's just the nature of the NBA. You need contracts to trade for contracts. And this can be a guy that you can pick up the team option. You could pay him the 23 million. You can keep him. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. Need vets on the team. Mm-hmm. Or you can turn that with all the draft capital you have into a guy who's on the books for longer, a piece of your core maybe. So I, I don't think it's by any means a disaster or anything along those lines that they didn't trade Bruce Brown. I would have like I would have liked to have seen a move for a price that made sense, but I I I was kind of seeing the writing on the wall with this ahead of time that maybe he was going to be the guy who made the least sense to be moved. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. I think they're really just kicking the ball down the road a little bit here and they're probably going to end up making that move somewhere around the draft. But I do wonder like this all we've heard time and time again is that this upcoming draft is not very good. 
And I mm-hmm. and I understand that the pick is top six protected yep. upcoming that they have in the first round, at least potentially if they tank, they could still keep the the pick. But I do wonder if part of the rationale for not making these moves earlier in the season was why do we need to make the moves if the draft is actually as bad as everybody says it is? And at least let's give it one more shot. Do I think that that was the right move? No, I don't because I think it just delayed the process Mm -hmm. and they were middling for a while and it wasn't that fun. And I think now you're going to get to see a little bit of a sprinkle of potential and figure out what you have, which I think is more important. But I do wonder, like, and I think to various degrees, Raptors fans hold the front office accountable. Like, I do mm-hmm. think there's a, a section of the fans that are like, okay, finally, like, the Raptors front office came to their senses and everything's okay again. But I do think there's also a group of Raptors fans out there that are like, what the heck took so long here? Like, what is the reason why you tried to do this for essentially five years when you lost Kawhi Leonard? Like, there were there were fans, mm-hmm. smart people that have watched this team for years that were saying this team was not going to be good enough. And it just, they just kept hitting their head against the wall, thinking, oh, essentially, we're smarter than you. We know this team's, or we think that this team's better than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And it didn't end up working. So I think yesterday went a long way, and, and the previous months prior to the trade deadline went a long way in sort of repairing the relationship between the, the fan base and the front office. But I, I do still think that there's uh, some fans out there that would be like, mm, do I still trust this front office? Like, are they truly in a better spot now than than they otherwise would have been? I think the OG trade went a long way to repairing that trust, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. The Siakam one, I feel like people are much more kind of lukewarm on. Hmm, okay, bunch of picks in the draft that sucks. Yeah. We'll see. It's <laughs> like, hey, go find OG or Pascal again, and all of a sudden it's a very, very different conversation we're, we're having. I don't think this is what happened, but if you wanted to tell me that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, like the the overwhelming theory or, you know, common common practices, like you kind of get a five-year grace period with a title. You know, for a franchise that's never won one before, maybe you can make the argument it should be 10, totally. but generally speaking, you get five. If you, again, I don't think this is what happened, but if you would have told me they had a doomsday clock to the, fu- the end of the five-year grace period and it was just ticking down at this deadline, they're like, all right, finally time to make our moves here because that's what it feels like. It, it, there was definitely a turning of the worm, and I think that there will always be a segment, a large segment of the fan base that is, quite frankly, unwilling to hold these guys accountable because they did the unthinkable and brought a title and brought Kawhi Leonard here and were able to turn around a good team and make it a championship one. And I don't begrudge anybody for for thinking that way, but to your point, I think the worm had started to turn and people were wondering eh, some of that magic wearing off, Mm -hmm. so much of the Raptors' pixie dust. Yeah, it was great trades, but it was also player development, and that has kind of dried up as of late. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. But I do think to to the point you bring up about where kind of people were at on this team, I do think it's uh, I, I I do think it's it's this is kind of a a mini reset almost. Any anybody who was was starting to wonder where things were going with this front office, they go, all right, I've seen enough here. These are some strides. I don't think people look at this as a slam dunk deadline, but there wasn't a slam dunk deadline to be had. Like if you no. made your OG, let's say you had made your OG trade and you made it yesterday. You're sitting here talking about what a great deadline it was, but they made it, what, a month ago, six weeks ago, mm-hmm. two months ago, I don't know, time's flat circle, however long ago it was. So I think you have to lump those trades into this all. And unlike totally. last year, I don't think they were caught kind of holding the bag with so many guys. You know, again, Bruce Brown is really, in my opinion, kind of the only one 
that you'd sit here and quibble about. But I, and it's funny because they made the trades. I'm going to sit here and give them the benefit of the doubt that, okay, they didn't get their price. Last year, I wasn't giving them that benefit of the doubt. I was saying, hmm, too stubborn, have to hold on to everything, have to win every trade by a factor of a thousand. But it's funny, you make one good trade and all of a sudden, at least me, I feel a little differently about yeah, this. Yeah, it's funny. Bobby Webster made the point at the end of his press conference. He's like, yeah, we made a lot of trades here. Like, we were one of the most active teams in the entire yeah, league. Yeah, I forget exactly what the line is. He's like, we traded four or five players. I think people wanted to trade exactly. eight or nine or something That's like that. That's exactly yeah. the quote that I'm referencing, which I, I found hilarious. Like, he's got a really good point there, too. Like, I don't think there's anyone. You know, Bruce Brown, yeah, sure. Like, could, did everyone want him to be traded because you thought you were going to get a first-round pick for him? Yeah, sure. But it Obviously, they weren't getting that in what they were asking. So, I mean, to Bobby's point, you still do need to field a team on the court. Like, I, they're going to be bad, but do you really want to have mm-hmm. Scotty Barnes, Manuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and seven G League players in the rotation? Like, is that honestly what Raptor fans want? I, I don't think so because no. G League players, for you know, credit credit to them for yep. for giving it a fair shake. I don't think that's what you want in the future. You want to have players that you think are going to develop into bona fide NBA players. So they need to see what they have. They need to explore mm-hmm. more than just those three guys. They need to figure out what Abaji is about. They need to figure out what Jordan War is about. Mm-hmm. They need to figure out when they get the first run. But Grady Dick, yeah. he's going to get a ton of run. He had a mm-hmm. career high a couple games ago, 22 points. So this is where the rubber meets the road for this organization here. You're going to see... If this core of Scotty Barnes, Emmanuel Quickly, and R.J. Barrett, the three of them together are going to be under the microscope, and you are going to have to figure out, I, w- I would say rather quickly, <laughs> second time in two days I mm-hmm. made that pun, <laughs> that nice. whether or not this this is a core that you can move forward with in the future. Yeah, and I think those are, those are all the questions. I think that, that, man, so much of this, it shouldn't because, again, we've been told 100,000 times this draft stinks. But so much of it does kind of hinge on what happens with that lotto pick. Like, if you if you keep the pick... So true. And it turns into something, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, not to turn this into the Leafs, but you got your core four instead of your your three with Barrett quickly and, and Barnes. What does that do? If you don't convey the pick, does that mean you want to keep trading down? The The other thing I look at with this as well is that you know, and I know they move one of those picks, but they still have the two late first and then the Pistons second, which is basically a first, is that if they're still believers in their drafting, or, well, it actually hasn't been drafting and developing. It's been grabbing off the scrap heap and developing. But in theory, it should be easier to develop guys, you know, you like and you select under draft. If you're still believers that you can do that, that that secret sauce is still a part of your organization, you're about to inject a whole lot of life into that over the next th- two to three years. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and tell you they're going to get three rotation guys out of those picks. If they get one, they're laughing, laughing. Yeah. So, you know, the Grady Dick of it all as well. Like, I think it's, it's important for him to find some footing, have a role on this team. You know, I think a lot of people were wondering what exactly was happening here. I think there's still, like, the jury's still out. I don't think this is a, you know, lockstep rotation guy for good teams. For the, No, there's still, like, there's still a lot of, you know, ink to be dried regarding regarding his career. But just really nice to see him kind of finding a footing. And to the point you made up or brought up is that they're going to play him. Like, he's going to get burned. He doesn't need to worry about just fitting in and being the last option on yeah, the floor. Shoot no, your get shot, out there and man. shoot. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> one thing that I find ridiculous and I'm happy you brought up the, the top six protected pick again. Like it seems so unfair to me 
to just assume that this draft is going to be bad. Like when the Raptors took Scotty Barnes yep. instead of Jalen Suggs. I know we were all mad. I was, I remember sitting with my brother watching the draft and we both like buried our head in our mm-hmm. hands. Like what are the Raptors doing? Jalen Suggs is a leader at Ben. He played quarterback <laughs> in high school. Like the Raptors front office is completely washed. What are they doing? And like, look what Scotty Barnes has turned into to just completely write off a, a potential top six draft pick in an NBA draft sounds insane to me. And while, yeah, there are talent evaluators that don't think that this one is the greatest in the world, you can find clearly a talented player that could eventually become a part of your court. It's it's the NBA draft for good at six. Like Pascal Siakam mm-hmm. was a late first round pick yep. and look what he became. OG Ananobi was coming off a torn ACL and look what he became. Like, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that because it's a weak draft, you're not going to see stars emerge from this draft. And look, they got Scotty. Yep. So while the drafting and developing hasn't been the greatest as of late with the, the Scotty exception, I don't put it, beyond them that they can do it again no i i i don't either i think that these these things are it's funny drafts are cyclical and that obviously you have your boom and bust cycles but the way we talk about drafts is cyclical as well and the idea i guarantee you like like you i'm going to just quote fran Frischilla right now from june uh this is a future quote pre-quoting him is that there may not be the top uh, top end talent that you like, yeah. but there's a lot of guys in the 25 to 40 range that could be rotation pieces on an NBA team. <laughs> like you're just you're going to hear that. And again, you need to mentally prepare yourself that somebody who goes in that range where the Raptors like this is never going to be the Boston Bruins where they had three first round picks in a row and whiffed on all of them other than Jake DeBrusque. And it's like they could have had Barzal and all and all these great players right behind him. That's not what's going to happen for the Raptors. But somebody's going to go in that range that you're going to end up kicking yourself on. It's it's possible you take that guy. For sure. They've done that before. But, yeah, I think I think these things are always – we always get over – especially early on. I feel like, generally speaking, these things normalize. Because we've seen it the other way. Is, oh, this is a generational draft. It'll never be better than this. And then eh, start poking holes in guys. This is what we – because – when we talk about people, this is what we do. Like if they're if they're really if they're performing above and beyond, yes, we'll give them their flowers, but we'll also say, hmm, what about this? What about that? Kind of poke holes in it. And conversely, if everyone in the world is telling you that all these, you know, lotto picks or top five picks are no good, we're gonna start to talk ourselves into them as well. So it's gonna be really funny to watch the kind of roundabout way of that. Another subplot I am dying for from for the second half or the back half of the Raptors season here is the Bruce Brown game against good teams where they go, what we couldn't have got in on this. That is going to be it. And, and he's not, he's not filling it up. Like it's not going to be 35 points, Bruce Brown night where they go, Oh man, that guy's killing us. But I am very much looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, just fill in the blank Celtics, Twitter or whatever of contending team where this guy's really performing. He's a champion. He's a winner. And again, because of all that stuff, I know people hear that and they roll their eyes like, okay, uh, he's a winner. He is. He just won a title. And for a team that has that, aspirations there are people in the building who remember what it feels like but other than chris boucher none of those guys know and i do think that matters yeah i I do wonder what bruce brown is thinking i know he posted on instagram a picture of him in his raptors uniform so he was obviously told at that point that he was going to remain a a raptor but i do wonder oh i'll tell you he's not happy i i mean i don't think he's gonna sit there and sulk he's gonna he's gonna get paid he wants to prove that he like again like i don't 
I think he wants to prove that he's a good vet. But you know what else he wants to do? Win he wants a title. to play in a game that no, forget yeah. forget win a title. He wants to play in a game that matters between yeah. now and June. Okay, uh, so I don't think he's like overtly thrilled about it. But I also think that this is, you know, and different people think of this in different ways. You know, I I he's twenty seven years old. He's still in the prime of his career. I don't think he's thinking of it this way, but. You do a good turn here is a good vet and a contributing player who can kind of shepherd along a little bit of a younger team. I think that goes a long, long way in terms of how you're viewed across the league. Not just now, but, you know, in the future, not not even just playing future, but in terms of kind of how you're viewed. And who knows what this guy wants to do? Like, all these guys make so much money, he's never going to have to coach a day in his life if he doesn't want to or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is a, like, we know, what, okay, we know what you can do as the sixth man or seventh man on the championship team. What can you do with this role that's asked of you where you're going to maybe need to do a little bit more and things are going to be a little harder. Like it's probably a lot harder to be Bruce Brown on the Toronto Raptors than it was, you know, with the, with the, with the Pacers or with the, uh, with the Nuggets last year. Yeah. That, that's such a good point. It's kind of like in, in life, you, there's certain circumstances you can, you can make something of what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Brown, I think, has an opportunity here. People keep of, telling me to do that, and I'm like, I just want to complain. I want to <laughs> yeah. complain. Yeah, like, he can look on uh, at it from a different angle and say, hey, like, this is something that I haven't really experienced in my career. I could take some players under my wing and sort of show them the ropes. I have been around for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. We just talked about the, the lack of leadership on this Raptors roster like Bruce Barron is a perfect opportunity he has opportunity in front of him to take on more of a leadership role and yeah man like he's still going to make 23 million dollars to be a, a veteran and and you know cut cut and receive some passes from Scotty Barnes it's not the worst thing in the entire world so he's got it he's got a pretty good gig here too like, another situation is like Chris Boucher like I do feel for some of these guys in these situations where certain guys like Dennis Schroeder has to uproot his life he expected to come here be mm-hmm. a primary ball handler yep. and and get more minutes and not come off the bench and mm-hmm. he he ends up in sort of a, a not to say meaningless but not a high level trade. He has to now go somewhere else, live somewhere else. You can say they're, they're millionaires. Yeah. But like Chris Boucher has been here forever. And I'm sure that he was hoping that he was going to be able to be moved to a contender and get meaningful minutes. And now he remains here. So it's just, it's interesting to think of the psychology of, you know, what goes on at trade deadline. Some guys are probably so upset to have to uproot their lives and move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And there's other guys who are probably have been in a a place for a really long time, like a Boucher who are like, Man, just I don't want to do this rebuild thing again. Like, get me somewhere else and and get me in a in a winning situation. But it's you always get those sorts of things with trade deadline. I I do find it fascinating. Yeah, we uh, we've talked about why Bruce Brown uh, wasn't dealt. Let's hear from uh, Raptors GM Bobby Webster on uh, on why he is still on the team. Had we gotten the offers we wanted for Bruce, you know, if kind of hit our threshold, we would have done something. At the same time, I think Bruce is twenty seven. He has a really interesting contract. You know, he provides a professionalism and toughness. I think we're all seeing on the court, so we value that. Um, and there's options with Bruce this summer. I also think if you look around the league today, there weren't a ton of major moves. And so I think that, you know, maybe some larger macro elements in the NBA are contributing to, um, you know, teams going forward and, and making big deals. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're happy with Bruce. We're, you know, we're happy to continue on with him. Yeah, he was uh, he was caught on a uh, well. I don't think he's caught. It's not like he said anything out of school, but on a hot mic of just talking with reporters right after of eh, who's the best guy that got moved. I don't know, Buddy Buddy Heald. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about there. I so, didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, right? Uh, he, and he's right. Like there wasn't a, but that's the NBA trade deadline. Like we, 
it's just a very different sport. Like in the NBA, if a star wants to get moved, there's no impetus to wait until the deadline or anything along those lines. You go make your move when you when you need to see see it happen there. You know, regarding the rest of the season from from the Raptors here, obviously it's all about the the three guys. I and mean, you know, I, I suppose you can extend it to four. Not that Grady Dick is at all on the level of those guys, but you do want to see what you have there. Like, what are you looking for in the rest? Is it wins? Is it victories? Is it moral victories? Is it just Scotty Barnes looking like a beast? Like, if I can gear, if I can grant you, you know, actually, let me phrase it that way. I'll, I'll forget about the, what you're looking for. It's like, say you want to convey the pick. Say you want to get in the play and whatever you want. I give you one wish for the rest of the Raptors season. What would you, what would you take? Because I think for me, I, yeah. I think for me what it is, is it is, I just need to see Scotty Barnes continue to grow. Yeah, I need to see because again, this is the point I made about next year and the idea of will they tank? Where will the where will they be at? If Scotty Barnes is who we think they are, who Dennis Green, if he is who we thought he is, <laughs> rest in peace, not Scotty Barnes, Dennis Green. Then, then this team cannot tank. They can't. Like I'm sorry. Like I know Cade Cunningham. Everyone tells me he's good and the Pistons are terrible, and I, I know Cade Cunningham's good. But guess what? If he keeps losing 50 games a year, he's not going to be the best player on a title team. He's just not. I'm sorry, okay? And I'm sure there are some people sitting there going, do you think Scotty Barnes is going to be the best player on a title team? I'm not saying he definitively will, but that's the best shot they got. Yeah, he's already an all-star. He's already an all-star. And they need to see what that looks like. He needs to, and I don't say this as a criticism that he hasn't been doing it. It's just you need to see this continue to grow and not even, you know, in small baby steps, in kind of leaps and bounds. You need to see him have the ability to take over games against other star players. And I don't say this as a criticism of him. It is just what you need to see from this player to know realistically what the ceiling is of this group. I think that's incredibly well said. Um, I'm going to extend it and say mm. that I think when things go bad, which they're going to for many, many nights mm-hmm. moving forward here, I just want to see the body language mm. remain okay. I like Because that. when they were struggling and kind of middling and they had Pascal and OG and Fred even last year, mm-hmm. it, it got ugly at times. They didn't look like they were having any fun playing and they were losing and it just was not an enjoyable thing to watch. And it's going to be difficult night after night here to go in and you know, you're not the most talented team and you're probably going to come out on the losing end. But you have to understand that this is... This is about growth and development, and it's not necessarily about the result. So if you have a string where you lose six or eight or even ten in a row, don't get too down on yourselves and understand that this is all now part of a process. And, you know, there's going to be better times down the road here. And I just don't want Scotty. I don't want Mm -hmm. him to get, you know, sort of stunted in that sense. You know, the stats can be great, but if he looks at this and says like, Oh, what, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And start to get down on himself. And you start to watch and you're like, this is not trending in the right direction. Yep. That's when I'm going to start to get a little bit concerned. So I just, it, he's a big vibes guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and I want the vibes to, to remain okay. Despite the losses it's, as fast possible. It's funny you say that because I feel, and I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I feel like it's the finest line you have to thread. Cause I agree. You don't want guys sulking the rest of the year, yeah. but um, you could be upset. You're losing. And I'm not saying this Raptors team hasn't acted that way in the past, but I don't want to see that where it's just, okay, well, another night, one day closer to Cabo. Cannot wait until we get there. Like, I don't want to see, and I don't think this will happen from that group, but it's such a, especially when you're kind of going down the route, this team's going to go the rest of the year. 
it is such a fine line to walk. Because you're right, you don't want sulking, you don't want, but you also want to be upset that you're losing basketball games. You want to hold each other totally. accountable. And that is where I think it is such a crucial challenge for Coach Darko. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say he's the man for the job. I don't know that we've seen that proven at all yet, quite frankly. But if there was a guy who was brought in, if you're just going to tell me somebody was brought in to dual track mind, win or develop, and he's a vibes guy, well, that feels like this is the perfect job for him. So go and prove it in the in the back half. The last thing I want to say about the wraps before we uh, step aside, take a little break. We got a loaded show today. Charles Davis going to join us after 7 o'clock, tee up the Super Bowl. Uh, Eric Smith, talk a little more about the wraps with us. Uh, and then 8 o'clock, shocker, uh, hockey hour. Uh, going to talk to Mark Messier. Yeah, most cool. uh, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, he's got something cool going on. We'll tell you about that after 8 o'clock. And then Sam McKee going to join us at 8.30. Maybe Leafs, maybe live yelling. He's going to be golfing today, I would imagine. It's like 12 degrees. I, I feel, I, it's funny. Sammy is a, like, he loves the game, but he is he is not a, and I, I maybe I'll just take this up with him on air, but I have not known him to be a, ooh, it's four degrees for the first time this right. year. Let's go swing the stick. He turns his golfing brain off. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, he's much that's a more point. a he's much more a go to Florida and play mm-hmm. golf guy than ooh I, it's above zero I could sneak it in but yeah he uh, he does love the game so we'll talk to him about that uh, a little more on what the one thing I wanted to bring up and and Bobby Webster talked about this uh, a bunch yesterday is that the idea of weaponizing cap space that they're going to have this summer I think that that is obviously <laughs> obviously something all teams try to do and this is going to be another kind of crucial moment because again if you think and obviously this is part of the plan, but if you think you've got your kind of big three or, you know, at least two of the three important pillars on your team in Barnes and then pick whichever one you like better quickly or, or Barrett, if you've got that, then this is a crucial time to be adding assets. And, you know, I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not saying the Raptors are going to turn into the, the Thunder because they're not. But the reason why they still look the way they do is because they never stopped stockpiling assets while all those young guys got good. So this is going to be, you know, you can only make the deals that are available to you and you kind of need a desperate team to take advantage of that. And it Mm -hmm. might hurt your team for a year or two in the interim. But if they're able to, you know, obviously the dream of this would be like the Brooklyn Nets trade from a hundred years ago when the Celtics got Tatum and Brown out of it. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen, but that is the, the blueprint for the Raps this summer. Yeah, there's there's no question. Like this is this is going to be a critical time moving forward. It's funny how now we're in a spot where it feels like this year and the upcoming draft and next year can shape the next I don't know how many 5 10 years of this team. And yeah, you can always pivot. We saw with the Kawhi trade like but that's more like, you know, lightning striking one time and you, you can't expect that to happen. You know what though? The thing with the Kawhi trade and like I don't say this to jump on you, but that was such a perfect one-time moment. I don't, I'm not saying Masai Ujiri wouldn't have the gall to make that trade the year before, or so, let's say Kawhi Leonard was in the exact same spot, but they were at the time where it was one last shot or blow it up. Like the way, where DeRozan was at contract wise, where all the other guys on were at on that team. It was the perfect, perfect storm for them. And that is why, again, that's why I think you always have to have that, or at least for me, that's why I was in the back of my mind. Like, even when it's wavering, I have that confidence in Masai because he was able to strike at the exact perfect time with that DeRozan trade because he had one year left on his deal. He was either he was either going to be dealt mm-hmm. for pieces or he was going to 
play out the year as a Raptor. Like that was kind of the only way that was going to go. And then you have this Leonard trade. I don't want to say fall in your lap because they went out and made it, but it was just such a perfect storm that like, you know, it's, it's funny. I always have hockey ringing in my brain, but it's kind of like Brian Burke with like, oh, Pittsburgh model, my ass. Yeah. You draft a generational player. It's like, yes, a, it's, the disgruntled superstar who their organization is so mad at that they're going to send to the place mm-hmm. they think he least wants to go. Well, you have a superstar making 30 plus. It was just such, such, such a perfect storm. And yeah, hey, uh, you know, Joel Embiid wants out of Philly or something along those lines. Sure, great. But I think that this is going to be a much kind of slower. Yeah, methodical. yeah, totally. It's wishful thinking to look back on that and say, hey, let's go out and, and do that again. That's probably not going to happen. You're going to have a different kind of rebuild here. But man, like all in all, I'm pretty excited for the Raptors future. Like I, I, I think the Raptors have a, an incredible player in Scotty Barnes, who is now an all-star in his third year. And you just continue to watch him grow and see what it is around him that can you know sustain moving forward and get back get back to winning basketball games but just keep the vibes up man mm-hmm. that's it just keep the vibes up yeah keep your keep your head high but not like if you're losing not not too high yeah. just a perfect fine line perfect fine line. level of, of frustration <laughs> uh perfect level of frustration that could be a title of a book about the toronto maple leafs talk mm. about them a little bit more get you set for the super bowl first segment in the books here it's a friday it's the fan morning show gunning and rubinoff on sportsnet 590 the fan Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan morning show, Brent Gunning, Jesse Rubinoff, Ben Ennis, back with us on Monday tried to take Monday off, and I said, I, I actually went into a RHR and just denied. Got to work the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, Going to tee up the Super Bowl with our pal Charles Davis in about 20 minutes' time or so. We're going to talk a little Super Bowl in a second here, but Leafers, off last night, off tonight, our cold, dark winter ends tomorrow when they take on the the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know, no no pointed question here, Jesse, but... Where are you at on the Leafs? They could be a little Jekyll and Hyde. Actually, that's not that's not fair to Jekyll and Hyde. Like he was just two guys. The Leafs feel like multiple personality disorders, like Jekyll and Hyde and Steve and Bill and Keith. There's a there's a lot of different Leafs teams uh, we we've seen over the years. Where over this year, I should say. Where where are you at on the Leafs right now? I right? just think the inconsistency is maddening. Like the way they played in the first period against Dallas and having two five on five shots in that period, just unacceptable. But then you look at the way they closed out the game, and there have been other games throughout the regular season where I've looked at them and said. This team looks really good. The, the win against the Kings on the West Coast trip is one that comes to mind. And when you get performances like you got from the core four against the Dallas Stars, like you start to understand like this is a team that still obviously has enough talent to take the next step. And my mind goes to the trade deadline. And I know that there's definitely people out there that think, oh, I'm not sure this team is quite good enough defensively or whatever it may be too inconsistent to want to sacrifice future assets to try and supplement this roster. But the, like for what you have these guys. Now the whole point of resigning them was that you have 
more seasons to try and go for it. And you start to see performances like you saw in the latter half of the game against the Stars or a couple other games throughout the season. You say this team has potential to be really good. Just figure it out from a consistency standpoint. It's maddening to watch when they don't show up one night and they do show up and show you what they can do the next. Yeah, and the, the thing we haven't seen from this team too much, which we have seen in the past, uh, we actually saw it very uh, quite often early on in the year. The first two games uh, specifically is where they do not play 50 minutes of a hockey game and then in the last 10 minutes of the third go, oh, we'll just score twice yeah. and, and figure it out. Haven't seen that as much this year, but the inconsistency hasn't hasn't been there. You mentioned looking ahead to the deadline I think it's going to be a relatively quiet one. I think if they make a move, it's maybe something like your Sandine trade that they made last year. Mm. And I don't think that's a first round pick coming back. I think it's probably a different style defenseman. Like, you know, if I, I think of a team like Philly, they've got a couple defensemen on expiring deals. Maybe you make your Timothy Lilligan trade for one of those guys gives you a different look on the back end. You kind of have a little more experience there. You're just changing things. You're not really improving. You're not getting better necessarily, but it is a, a different look. That's kind of how I, I look at things, but I also look at, forget about the team, forget about the core and how good they've been this year. Let's just talk about the one guy. It's like Austin Matthews can have another 60 goal season. So long as he doesn't get hurt. And how many of those can you waste? Exactly. And I don't. Exactly. Now, I'm a, again, I also don't think you can throw good money after bad. Like, I don't know that. Let's say, let's say Brad Living just capitulates and says, all right, fine. Calgary, you can have your first rounder for Chris Tanev. Does that change the world? Is this team all of a sudden that much better? It's better, but I don't know that that's pushing them over the hump. Now, this is the nebulous, you know, finicky nature of NHL playoffs is that, yeah, a guy like Chris Tanev almost certainly isn't going to be enough. But I don't know. Did Luke Shen push him over the hump against the Lightning last year? He didn't do it by himself, but he certainly helped. Like yeah, he's a big, big agreed. part of that series. So I think that I think that that's the kind of deal you see made is maybe a you know a younger piece for maybe a slightly older piece for a team that's you know because I think there's also a lot of these teams like Calgary's another one where. Yeah, they they want to get in the playoffs and he, they want to be there, but they also realize kind of where they're at in their cycle. And we've seen that we've heard this from a lot of the insiders is that just because you're in a playoff spot doesn't mean you're necessarily holding on to to all your pieces. So I think that'll be the interesting thing to to kind of watch. And honestly, just tomorrow, Battle of Ontario, Sens are ornery. They've been terrible all year. Yep. You know, Brady Kachuk's gonna be running his mouth, running around. Uh, I can't wait to see that one. I'm just, I'm very, I, I'm excited. Like Leafs sends games. They always have juice. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but Matthews owns no one like he owns the sends. And I know it's easy to say with the four goal game, but I think it's something like 22 goals and 23 points in like 30 some odd games or something like that for Matthews. It's four. I know it's 45 points against the sends because I just looked at this yesterday. He, I mean, he owns everybody. He really owns the sends. <laughs> it's ridiculous that he scored four goals in his first ever game. And, essentially has never slowed down. It really is. It, well, <laughs> it's and, insane. And you know what? The more, it's funny. Like we've done the Ovechkin thing of like, oh, can he catch Gretzky? And now that it's slowing down, maybe we'll never do that again kind of thing because yeah. we learned our lesson. But, you know, close your eyes and dream with me for a second here. If he does this for 10, 15 more years, like wouldn't it be fitting that the guy who holds the all-time goal record scored four in his first game? Like wouldn't that just be a nice little, yeah. like, way things are yeah so i'd love to uh, i'd love to see that cannot wait love me some battle of ontario i also love me some super bowl uh game we'll talk about it in a sec here with charles davis but 
I always like to do this. This is a sports radio staple heading into it. What's what's Jesse Rubinoff's Super Bowl Sunday looking like? Like, are you a part? G- generally speaking, are you like a party guy? Are you watching it at home? Is it different years, different plans? What what are you like on a Super Bowl, Jesse? It's usually the same group of of guys that get together and watch uh, at somebody's house. We're going to be doing that uh, again. It's pretty, I think, a pretty standard Super Bowl party. Mm-hmm. You got the the pizza, the wings, oh, yeah. the beer, all that, all that flowing and. Uh, yeah, so I don't think it's a pretty pretty normal thing uh, to do, and you get the little bingo sheet out. Oh, you yeah. have you have the bets flowing. I mean, it's going to be. I, I'm so I'm so excited. I, I think these two teams are probably is probably my most. Uh, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year, I said this yesterday on, with, mm. with Justin. If you would ask me at the beginning of the year what matchup would I most wanted to see, mm-hmm. and I think it would have been this. So I, I can't wait. What what are you uh where are you gonna watch it? So I, I'm be at home. I just watch at home. Uh I am going to uh I'm gonna have a wife who's as always super jacked up about a halftime show. Yeah. I've, I've done parties. I, I'm I'm here for a Super Bowl party, definitely. Are you an Usher family? Uh no, well uh, she she thinks we are. I don't I don't <laughs> right. mind. Let, let me put it th- it was funny. We were actually talking about this the other day and she's like, Oh, I'm excited for Usher, that'll be good. And I'm like, Man, they gave me my dream halftime show, what was it, two years ago with, with Dre and Fiddy and Eminem and everybody? It's like, yeah, it was amazing. I don't care. Like, they're never, it's like, I don't know, you're going to resurrect Prince and have him perform? There's no, there's nothing that can get me excited anymore, I feel like. They, they, they flew too close to the sun. They did the perfect halftime show. They followed up with Rihanna last year. I don't know. Feels like, uh, this is like, it's tough for Usher, but feels like a little bit of a letdown is coming here. Like, and I like Usher. I have no problem with it, but it's just tough, tough acts to follow. Can you imagine Taylor Swift said yes to the halftime show? Like before this whole circus Ooh. transpired? Like what would they have done? I mean, they would have let her perform at halftime. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it would have I mean, I'm pretty I, so straight. I hate, full I hate to break this. I hate to break this to Usher. And I know she's like getting on the bird right from Tokyo to get over or yes, whatever. But yes. if she showed up as Usher was putting the earphone in, it would be get off like, the stage. Usher, hey, yeah. I'm gonna just do a an acoustic set. Yeah. Like, All right. Cool. You know what? We'll cancel the second half. Like I genuinely think the NFL might lean into it in that much. It is. Uh, it is. It is funny. What's the thing like you're kind of most looking forward to? Is it Mahomes' legacy talk? Do you want to see if Purdy can do it? Like the. And I want to be clear, like, this isn't a hinging moment for Patrick Mahomes. He's great. He's the, until someone proves otherwise, he's the greatest player of his generation. But he wins. He's a three and one. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. He loses. He's a two and two. Guess what? That's still really impressive to win two Super Bowls, even if you lost two of them as well. But it's kind of the, you know, and not that Brady has a perfect Super Bowl record by any means, but it's kind of like the LeBron Jordan. It's like, do you want to get there a bunch and lose or do you want to have kind of an unblemished record? It's funny how differently, and again, like he's going to be viewed as an all-time great, regardless. If he vanished off the face of the earth tomorrow before the game's played, he's an all-time great. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't mean this to say, what is it? Does it tarnish his legacy? It can only go up, in my opinion, but... Man, it's amazing how different we will talk about him at three and one versus two and two. Yeah, that has to be number one for almost everybody. Uh, but secondary storylines, like obviously, can can Brock Purdy get it done when it truly matters? It feels like he's been able to get away with a lot. Okay, did recently. you did you see the stuff on Brock Purdy of people asking him if he knows that he looks like, like Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like it's it's like. 
It's <laughs> hilarious how uncomfortable he is about it. But also go look at the pictures because I swear that's his yeah, dad. He looks pretty look, uncanny. I, I'm sorry to Brock Purdy's dad. He looks more like Lee Harvey Oswald than he does yes. his dad. Yeah, it was a bit of a. There were some tough, tough questions during Super Bowl <laughs> Media Day, but there usually is. And and yeah, it was just extremely awkward. Yeah, Brock Purdy's like, someone just asked me about like going to the bathroom or something. It's like something way more awkward, yeah. <laughs> so much better than this. Yeah, it was tough. So I, I mean, I, I want to see if Brock Purdy can get it done. He's, he's he throws like some brutal ducks from time to time, and he seems to get away with it. But against Kansas City Chiefs defense, that is very opportunistic. Uh-huh. I think he might run into some problems there. And then Christian McCaffrey wins the Offensive Player of the Year last night, and mm. Lamar Jackson wins the MVP. And the MVP has become a quarterback award. Yep. But I do think there's a world where Christian McCaffrey, in fact, is the most valuable player and not just the Offensive Player of the Year. And I For think sure. a Super Bowl is an opportunity where if the 49ers win the game, you could be looking at a Christian McCaffrey-type takeover of this game. And then if that happens, it's like, oh, well, Maybe Christian McCaffrey actually was the most valuable player all along and not just the offensive player of the year. So I, they got to lean on him because yeah. he is truly uh, probably the most talented player in the entire NFL and he, he can influence the game in, in a massive, massive way. So let's see if uh, he really should have been the true uh, MVP yeah, I based mean, on the Super Bowl performance. All the conversations we had, and to your point, like it's a quarterback award. That's why we talked about Purdy yeah. in that way. But I would have, like, you know, I don't know that I have him. Uh, I forget who it was who said that uh, Purdy's like the 10th best player on the 49ers. I don't know that I have him quite that Cam, low. Cam Newton, I That's think. who it was. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't have him. I don't have him above McCaffrey. I don't have yeah. him above Samuel. I don't have him above Ayuk in terms of, imp- well, mm-hmm. not shouldn't say importance because if Sam Darnold's back there, I do feel differently about what those guys can do. But yeah, I was always of the opinion that MVP of that team specifically, a thousand percent run CMC. Like McCaffrey is that yeah. guy well, he is honestly, it's like just pick the backs that you think of. Like, you know, we're roughly the same age here. It's like Marshall Falk, Ladanian Tomlinson. Like he's just got that in him, that special, special ability, run, catch, whatever you need from him. So yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be awesome to see excited for it. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 nice to have a a close feeling Super Bowl. Like I think if a blowout happens, it's more likely the 49ers are winning, but I think this can be a tight game. I really do. Yeah, I just I, I know there's a, a belief out there that like, okay, if we've seen the Chiefs enough, you know, whatever. But they're still a really fun. No, you need greatness to and, hate. And you want yeah, you want legacy to be a part of it. Like I, there are so many times over the years where in every league a random team wins, and then three years down the road, I don't even remember yep. that they won, and the stories weren't hey, that we're interesting. We're talking about the Raptors that way. Yeah. <laughs> People are definitely talking about yep. the Raptors. Like, we are not, but down <laughs> south, yep. you you better believe that 90% of the fans already forget that the Raptors won the title in 2019. So I always prefer this sort of situation, and I do think when you look at, obviously, Mahomes' legacy, but then the 49ers, it's a, one of the iconic franchises mm-hmm. in the National Football League. So, yeah. I, I eat up this matchup all day long. Mm, eat it up like yeah. wings, nachos, yes. and drinking beer. Exactly right. Brent Cunning, Jesse Rubinoff. First hour in the books. Charles Davis next. Fan morning show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.